Digital Drift, episode 56, recorded Thursday, 24th of September, 2014. The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift and Fast and Furious. On the other side of the world, on the wrong side of the law, a new style of racing rules the Tokyo underground. How you guys get away with this? And all the best drivers want in. Who's a tourist? Let's see what the kids got. Then let's race. But when you live on the edge, anything can happen. You came to the wrong place. Now, in a place where life moves this fast. That's a lot of money. Hey, you're moving up in the world. You gotta elevate your company. The bigger the risk, the greater the rush. Stay away from me. All my life, people have told me I don't fit in. Maybe I've just been in the wrong place. Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. So yeah, um, Too Fast, Too Furious happened. I think at that point, they, the the uh, the producer, it's been the same producer the whole way through, um, Neil H. Moritz, uh, was like, right, so prob- you know, we didn't make that much more money with this one, even though we spent a lot more on it. So let's spend more on it this time. But we we don't have to necessarily stay with Brian anymore. And, you know, we don't, you know, Vin's still working, so we can co- go to someone else, maybe. In fact, let's do something that's actually not really linked at that point to any of the rest of the, uh, mo- the first two movies. And, uh, you know, then at the very end, sort of tie it up so that it does feel like it's still part of the same universe. And so they tell you an 80s movie. At the starting of the week, at Summit Talks, you'll hear them speak. It's only Monday. Negotiations breaking down. See those leaders start to frown. It's hard and gone day. Tomorrow never comes until it's too late. I mean, look at. Neil, yeah. have you watched that episode of uh, South Park, Aspen? No, I don't like South Park that much. So. Well, it's the same thing as this. It's literally every 80s skiing movie where all like break dancing. It's Thor movie. as well. Yeah. Sort of. This, oh, it is kind of, isn't it? Like, you know, it's, it, it is your standard fish out of water. You to Earth and prove that you're not a complete dick. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Lucas Black... Uh, is uh, a completely unrelated kid uh, to the, uh, the the earlier films. He's a, he's a kind of a bit of a bad kid, but he's, he's not one or actually they sort of play him as not one or the other. He's not really a bully, but he doesn't. He's not sort of the high moral characters like say. There's a scene sort of in the opening where um, they're in uh, what they call it shop class or whatever. We're working on his car. He sees this kid getting dragged into the paint shop by painted yeah. spray point. He goes over. You think he's going to do something, and he doesn't. He just sort of walks away. But yeah. later on, he gets challenged by sort of the high school quarterback star, arsehole kid, very eighties, and he doesn't back down from that. Although. 
clever moment in that showed um you know how in like sort of the next film he'd stand up to him but he'd do it on his own kind of thing yeah he, he just subtly drops the big massive wrench down in his hands to say all right you got your friends i got crazily. this yeah uh that that interesting was actually because we'd just seen too fast too furious was really engaging because there's a lot of visual storytelling going on it, it, it's uh, justin lynn for the first time uh, in the series um bring on the king of this franchise now yeah he directed this one and the next three so uh, uh, suddenly there's it's a completely different direction to the way Singleton did it. You're, we're back in cinematic territory. Lots of slow mo shots of, of things happening and the people, kids being pushed through the uh, uh, the metal detectors in, in the school just in case they got weapons. And um, what's Lucas Black's character's name? Oh, Sean. Yeah. Sean, yeah. Looks across at the, the school mascots even being searched for weaponry. And it, it kind of it tells the story of the shitty school that he's at. And then, yeah, as you say, he gets challenged by the bully. And the bully's got Heather. And he wants Heather, but, you know, the bully's got her. So he challenges him to, to a race. It's like a grease race. <laughs> Races against the dude from the Scorpions, and then it's neat the way that the police officer sums it up. Basically, he says, "Ken and Barbie out there, they're just walking away. They're too well connected. You, you are done." Because, yeah, screwed. Yeah, yeah. He's got priors, and uh, he's been warned about this before. And his mother's um, feeble attempt to seduce the police officer in order to get her son off is uh, uh, rebutted. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a quite neat way of sewing up his life at this point and tossing him into the trash. Also, what I like is that he sort of barely hints at this in the first one, and it's never really mentioned. Past. He's not a good racer. Yeah, no, he's got no talent. He's just he's heavy footed. That's it. He's not. You see that in that really really well put together race that they actually have set to Bowitabar by Kid Rock. Yeah. Um, you actually see that he's not good at what he does. He's not a Brian or a Dom or any of the racers we've seen before. He's actually more lucky than anything. Yeah. There's, there's very little judgment on his part. He just makes snap decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a kid. I mean, he's. this was something that really struck me about this. They... There's a youthfulness about the first two. Um... I think in the first one, because Brian is looking up to Dom so much. In the second one, it's because um, Brian and Roman are both going back to a relationship that they had as children. Mm. But this one, it, it, you're absolutely right. It is a high school movie. It's They are incredibly teenaged, yeah. um, which is possibly one of the reasons why um, uh, the, the villain of the piece in this one is almost impossible to take seriously because you're looking at him and thinking he's a he's posturing a teenager yeah. he is he is a posturing teenager and that is made so brilliantly obvious when his uncle walks in and he's like utterly I am um, Sonny Chiba you are a little punk and also the fact that it's Sonny Chiba which is just amazingly awesome. brilliant <laughs> yes I, I, first of all I mean this I think for the longest time this was like the least popular one of the franchise yeah it makes it's all two seems money. to be but I find this one, you know, going to this one, especially because I, I, today, I literally did Too Fast, Too Furious, then this film straight after. This one's actually kind of refreshing because it is the teenagers. Yeah. And they make the snap judgments and they are, 
they're doing teenagery things. Yeah, but for me, it went back to that um, sort of psychological rationale behind the characters that I'd picked up from the first one and that seemed to be back again for this one which I, I really enjoyed it because again it's sort of it's looking at this um, uh, you can kind of summarize this one as what is expected from you to be a man mm. and and uh, what is the uh, socialized framework of masculinity that you are being expected to play into because if you look at the comparison between uh, Sean who is basically trying to piece together how to be a man all by himself without a great deal of guidance from anybody um, the uh, rich kid at the beginning who and they really set this high school up to be incredibly shitty by the way everyone in it is horrible Mm. and not to mention the fact that they appear to be in an upcoming football match going up against a team called the Indians, which is slightly dodgy ground anyway, and then they have them tear apart a Native American mascot. Yeah. Heavy on the symbolism a little bit, I know. Just a touch. It's so just so you'll really dislike this this kid, Clay, the uh, exactly. football quarterback. But, uh, but he's is- like... Looks like he's wearing a pork mask. He does he's this rather, horrible, he? piggy-eyed little bastard. And how does somebody that big still not fill his football jersey? I really couldn't understand that. But anyway, so it, it, you've got his type, his brand of being the big man involves putting his girlfriend in danger, although she seemed to be kind of up for it, which was a bit weird. Um, and She didn't need to get into that car. No. She could have just stayed out and said, look, you guys spray the decks with testosterone. Absolutely. But she incised it. She was like, the winner gets she, me. She did kind of, it, yeah. She was But that is kind of the point like that. of that character. That's what she's like. She isn't She isn't meant to be the likable one. She's a bitch. She's awful. She's, and, not, she's you know, paper thin as well. But I anyway, like that's... the fact that, that Sean sort of grins at her and winks through bloody teeth twice. And it's like, just in, <laughs> that's, enough that's with the winking. That's not impressing anybody. Um, but it did make then, me laugh. And then you've got, um, like, you've got the example of Sean's father, who's obviously um, feeling a little bit failed in the masculinity stakes himself mm. um, for having walked out on his his family, or you know, for whatever reason, caused their family to split. He seems to be the one who then disappeared, um, and the uh, the being involved in the the criminal side of things that um, Han and uh, Takeshi are all tied up in. There there's just seems to be this overwhelming sense of everybody trying to find the way in which they can prove themselves. Mm. Which, when you're 17, is pretty much all-consuming. It's the, the part of your life where you really are trying to work out, A, who do you want to be? B, how are you going to get to be that person? Yeah, and appreciating actually who you are and taking, mm. and taking responsibility. This film is about growing. Mm. That is the yes. overall arc of, uh, of Sean. Absolutely. About, about growing. And I think Lucas Black, apart from the accent, which is a little bit too hickey, yeah, but really... that's like that's his actual accent. I know, it? I know. Exactly like that. In a oh, I know. I've seen him in other stuff, and he's... <laughs> but he's really, really good. I really like this guy. Yeah. Uh, he's not the star. Um, I know everyone sort of. This is where everyone fell in love with Han. And this yeah. is why you'll get more Han. Sung Kang. But um, my favorite character in this is Bow Wow. Bow Wow, Twinkle, he Twinkie. He's great, isn't he? He's, he again, he's, he's so lovable. He, I love the he fact that he brings out the Hulk car and he loves it so much and he thinks it's so cool. Yes. Like 
I think that was the minute when I think that was the minute when I saw that. I went, I'm gonna like this guy a lot. It's and not he, he's a horrible fan. He's a he's a horrible. But he, again, he's going to buy car hair. <laughs> you can get car eyelashes for Christ's sake. Oh, that's all right then. But um, yeah, that he's got. I don't I don't think I've seen Bow Wow in anything else. But he's got such a really effortless charm in this. He is sort of that. I want to say he's a Del Boy, but he's not, if you know what I mean. But he's that chancer. He's got a scheme and a plan and got this on the go and that go. But there's always that easygoing charm to him that's you're drawn in by it. And again, it's it's that buddy buddiness again, which I think a lot of these films get bound is that whole connection yeah. between people. That's what people really like. That's that's what gets you. That's just that's the good stuff in between the car races. A lot of time is it's just, just you want to see what's happening with Twink next, or the or, or you know with Han and and, yeah. and Sean learning. That's really well, that's what it's. Um, it, it's recaptured that sense of like sort of a major story between the races, um, which the first one had. But there is more development going on because they're all teenagers. Yeah, and um, uh, they all do a really good job. Mm. There's, there's, you're right about the sense of growth as well. One of my favourite moments in this is when um, uh, that spiky blonde Final Fantasy villain chap, whose name escapes me, um, is Morimoto. Uh, he's um, beating up um, Bow Wow. Bow Wow for a bad iPod. He apparently sold him a broken iPod, and um, Sean steps in to break up the fight. And going by how he's behaved in the past the assumption is that he's basically going to swing at the bad guy but he doesn't he actually finds a non-violent way to resolve it and he is rewarded for that because Neela is immediately more responsive to him than she has been in the past because she now knows that he's not going to act like the others he's not going to try and turn this into a I'm bigger than you and I can punch harder than you can um, and uh, I Han's comment about uh, racing somebody just proves that you're faster than them. It doesn't prove that you're better than them. Mm. Um, it, it's the, the little things like that that I think really uh, give this more of a uh, a rounded and engaging uh, thread. Yeah. First things last, by the way. <laughs> I have to elbow in because I haven't had a chance to say this. He gets sent to Japan. In case you folks didn't get this, if you haven't actually watched the uh, film yet. He gets the title Tokyo Drift. Yeah. Give it away. I, yeah, also, it, you could assume that, but yeah. He gets sent to Japan where his dad lives, because if he doesn't go to Japan to, to stay with his dad, he's got to go to jail. They they put him in, they literally put him out of water. And you commented, Sharon, that that would actually really, really work for a lot of people who get into sort of very bad habits and can't break their, their cycle. Yeah, well, to have your—I um, mean, you've—you've you've got to be lucky enough to have that option, anyway. As you pointed out, you've got to have relatives in a, a part of the country that it, or a part of the world that it is um, that you can then go to and, and stay with them. You need something, but yeah, the uh, being in an environment where you're in repeating a bad pattern over and over and over again in the make or break moment for some people and not for everybody throwing them into a situation where they have to adapt where they have to change where the the way of life is so different and the expectations of them are going to be so substantially altered um it, wherever sean went in america uh, he's going to be the trailer trash. He's going to be the um, the the uh, poor new kid who can't keep up with everyone else. Um, but the 
environment and the atmosphere that he goes into in Japan makes it so completely different and gives him um, a, a level of expectation to meet that nobody's ever put on him before. People now expect him to turn up on time, to be smart, to be respectful, to learn Japanese, you know, all these uh, these things that, that demands that nobody would ever dream of making of him back in America. And it, it kind of, in a way, it's like if you have wildly low expectations of people, a lot of the time they'll meet them. If you have higher expectations of somebody who previously hasn't had that put on them then sometimes and a lot of the time they will rise to the challenge and it doesn't work for everybody and obviously Sean's fictional so it stood a far higher chance of working for him um, but, um, but just yeah. look at what that happened to this person in this fictional film indeedy indeedy but hey I mean you know getting sent to Japan as punishment for being yeah. a really bad kid there's oh, that bit in the uh, uh, the cafeteria when he's looking at all the weird Japanese food and it looks absolutely splendid and it's like yeah. oh poor you Sushi forced to go to Japan also, the the depiction of Japan itself is vibrant and tangible, and it, 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 they've really gone out of their way to show that it's a different world. Kind of like the Wolverine, in that it feels like a different place entirely. They've 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 shown that he's that, that people behave differently, dress differently, um, and that the the culture is is alien. alienating and intimidating. Another good and a nice good way to show it because we start film, we have a. <laughs> Sort of a typical Fast and Furious race to this point. The flat mm. out go round the court and done, right? Then we get introduced to what they do in Tokyo. And again, that helps make you feel, oh, wow, we have stepped up. We are doing something different. Yeah. It helps make the scene feel, but they do it in a clever way where the scene feels the same. It's still cars, girls, music, dancing, craziness kind of thing. Yeah. Then it comes Best to the race and yeah. it's completely different and alien than. Yeah, no amount of shoving your foot down hard is going to save you in that scenario. No, because it just proves that Sheen is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> John's terrible. He's never even heard of drifting before. Now, what guy hasn't heard of to drifting? To be fair, it, Mario Karts. Yes and no. It wasn't quite as big a thing. I mean, if you're in that scene, you would have known about it, and it is actually something that comes from Japan. Um, I think yeah, the actual I mean, Ridge Racer on the PlayStation, you could drift. Yeah, but um, how many people knew it as an actual race form mm. than um, just a technique? You know, drifting is technically a technique. It's meant to be a way of getting around corners. Here, they use it, the technique is a whole race style. Yeah. So it's, it's. I think it was just a way to focus in on something different. So it's, I actually think it's quite believable, especially at this point that you know, some people probably wouldn't know that that's a style because I think somewhere in there is the real DK. There's actually a real guy who's known as uh, the Drift King. So, ah, isn't he the person that the he? There was an article about him or something, and that's what the film was based yeah. on. Yeah, there's also uh, a nod to an anime called Initial D in there, which is an anime. Unfortunately, when it got subbed into English, they tried to make it like Fast and Furious, which butchered it. But that's about drift racing. Oh, uh, right. And a lot of the, the first series, a lot of the racing takes place on a very similar hill to what Shaw's training on. Gotcha. I think you see a very similar car to it in the, in one of the scenes as well. So there's a couple of actually good little nods in there if you know some stuff. 
So, Sean, um, because he falls in with uh, the only American kid in his school, uh, ends up inadvertently ending up at a car party after his dad's told him, don't go anywhere near cars or you're out of here, and that means you're going to jail, ends up somehow challenging someone to a, a drift race, having only just found out what drifting is. Like, oh, sure, I'll do that. Just the the first time when he's racing around and to that. be fair, I don't think he knew it was a drift race. He just challenged him to race, thinking I'll it's challenging him to race. It's a silver or a Sylvia, the, uh, the the blue and orange car. It's gorgeous, and he slams it into the wall of this car park. Yeah, did anyone else find the car destruction in this one painful? Yes, yeah. it's just wincing. Oh. It's like, like the, the bit when they destroy the Mitsubishi, the green one, at the beginning of the first one. They're like, no. Yeah, that's a no moment. And this is continuously like bang, oh, oh, and he's going to carry on going and committing more atrocities to this poor car. Especially when you see it when it, the state it's in at the end later yeah. on in the film, you're like, oh, he wrecks it. He tells it, and the owner of the car, Han, is the Dominic Toretto type character, and he's the uh, he's too cool for school. He's just eating corn nuts and looking he's totally like you know, very zen and very yeah. different about life to anyone. And we'll find out why later. Yeah, he's very composed, and uh, their relationship sort of ends up firing up in a in a slow burn kind of way, rather than the sort of "I just can't quit you, man." He, like he's in the kind first of one. he is the more the father figure in this, but yeah. the very or the big brother figure. At yes. least. yeah, the guiding the guiding sort of character for him. You which, can be both, by the way. Someone was disputing that uh, Dean was. Um, I think it was Chris on the uh, forum saying that Dean wasn't a uh, so much a father figure as a big brother in the Iron Giant. You you can possess elements of both. Oh most yeah, definitely. The, the, the Han is definitely sort of the guiding force that Sean sort of needs at that time. He yeah. steps in and sort of goes. Well, racing isn't like you said. Racing is you know winning a race doesn't prove that any proves that you're faster than you are. Yeah. Anything else? And he starts out. He's he causes Sean to question things and to again that growth to the point where he has the argument later on in the film with his dad who goes no it's my mess let me sort it out yeah. and that's where he steps up and as Sharon say, becomes the man because he steps up and realize, takes responsibility and tries to fix the situation also did anybody else get the subtle implication of that conversation with his father what he's basically saying to him is you didn't sort your mess out you yes. walked away from your mess yeah what this really boils down to, okay, the, the rest of the film you can imagine sort of pans out in a sort of he learns to drift and there's a lot of montages and he starts to do that. He starts to take more responsibility. He goes from being disrespectful and not really knowing what he's doing to being able to measure a situation more. And it all ties in with the drift itself. The drift is about awareness. And I twigged this while I was uh, choosing a driver on the uh, grid yesterday. And I had to choose between uh, like someone who ranked high in aggression. I thought, no. And uh, the Japanese driver was really high in awareness. And I thought, well, that's because he can he's able to sort of measure his drift around it. Because the, the drift-specific courses, it's not about how fast you go. It's about knowing where the car is in relation to the other rest of the environment. What being an adult really entails at least in this is about knowing who you are in relation to the rest of the world that's what being a child isn't yeah uh, yeah it really is and that's why the out of the, uh, the, the sort of the subplot is that BK is trying is he trying or is he, he he's sort of playing Yakuza yeah, DK's a mean jock type who is, has mob relations. His uncle's and, basically Yakuza. Yeah, uh, and he's the he's called DK because he's the Drift King and he's like the most super badass of everything and he's got this girlfriend who ends up getting the hots for Sean because he's um, 
different. A stand-up guy, actually. It's not just that he's different. Different may have piqued her interest, but she eventually begins to be uh, drawn to the fact that he's decent. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And if you look at uh, things like the way... um, DK reacts to his uncle's comment about his father um, and the conversation that he has with Neela, he it is very obvious that he has massive, massive um, self-doubt issues and that he is terrified of the world that he is trying to attach himself to because that's all he knows and it's caused him to become something that he wouldn't otherwise have been Neela says at one point he's changed she's known him for a long time she's known him since she was quite young Um, so for her to say that he's changed is obviously quite a significant thing Um, and I I think they they managed to do this sort of or well Justin Lin manages to do this sort of subtle implication about what's going on behind those characters with quite a few different people he certainly does it with Han. Um, the uh, the conversation, the other the other scene I really loved was the conversation where he says about um, the, basically the cost of a car to find out what a man's made of. Mm. I consider that money well spent, basically. Um, but the the expression on his face at that point, you can see that he's obviously been in situations where um, he's had hangers on cause him massive problems he doesn't want to be surrounded by sycophants anymore he wants to have people around him who he can actually interact with and and relate to Mm -hmm. we also get our first notable death as uh after dk chases them uh when his uh uncle comes in and says he reels off a piece of um it's a fable from i actually recognized from what katie did which is uh for the want of a nail, the horseshoe was lost. For the want of a horseshoe, the horse was lost. For the want of the horse, the rider was lost. For the want of a rider, the message was lost. For the want of the message, the battle was lost. For the want of the battle, the war was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. And what he's basically saying is, fix your shit. Deal with this small problem, because otherwise it will become a big problem. Mm. Again, that was unexpected. There are multiple moments throughout this film that they don't straight out say but you can assess so yeah. the, um, the, uh, the the when um, Sean talks to his father you can see the trappings of the fact that he's been in the navy around the uh, apartment but it, it ne- he never goes into a speech about son I used to be with the navy and blah 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 it's just it's there for you to actually ascertain what was the other bit that I just thought was, was kind of subtle Sharon do you remember Somewhere around the middle. Oh, it's the it's it's the comment that um, uh, DK's uncle makes about his father. I miss your father. That's all he says. That's it. Yeah, DK's uncle, um, after saying "sort out your shit," picks up a picture of uh, this boy's father and says, "I miss your father." Puts it down and walks out, which implies I killed my own brother because I had to. I'm yakuza. There was a reason for it. I will kill you. Fix your shit. There's also, if you if you know Yakuza stuff, there's subtle nods in there, like uh, the end race, the guy that starts it. Yeah, he's missing fingers. Missing fingers. Yeah. I think he might be actual Yakuza. He possibly could be, or former. I'm scared. It's like a Guy Ritchie <laughs> film. But yeah, there's also the speech that his dad gives him, which also, strangely enough, involves nails. Yeah. But, you know, what was it? Um, is, a, is it a proverb or a saying around here? That, the nail uh, that sticks out gets hammered. Yeah. So... Yeah, DK chases them, and very unexpectedly, Han 
dies in a sudden um, explosion after he, he, he a horrible crash. It's set up in a way that you think he might be able to be saved by Sean, and and there's that real there's real tension there. You're thinking, okay, he's gonna now that Sean rescues him, he's going to uh, feel much closer to. Oh my God, he's dead! He's dead. There's something I want to say about this scene, which is really awkward. Because uh, it involves five and six? It involves six. So you... let's just say it's very well played. That's all I'm going to say. Um, yeah, that's it. That's all I can say. I literally <laughs> cannot play anything. You'll find out more next week, folks, and we'll find out more tomorrow when we get to see that film. We've never seen I think, five or six. I think seeing this film so close to seeing six, sticking in mind, because... Everyone, I watched this franchise a fair bit. So when I saw the scene in question at six, which isn't post credits, it's it's quite it is at the end. You'll see, you don't have to wait. Uh, it blew my mind how well it was done. Oh. So I'm okay. going to say it. So it's um, all good. That's the other thing we haven't mentioned. Uh, this actually takes place out of sequence. Uh, I don't know why this, this decision was made. Maybe basically they didn't have a plan until Justin Lin came along. They didn't actually have a plan. Right. So that they they, this... they did this cut. They 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 stuck Dom in at the end and then. Four happens to take place before three because Han is in that um, and alive and running with Dom. And then five still takes place before three and then six still takes place before three. So seven will be the first one to take place after three. Yeah. It, this is the crazy thing. It's never really mentioned. Up, you don't work. You can't really work out the timeline because once you've seen four, I know we're not talking about four, but when you hit four... Four almost feels like it's, it could be... It's really weird how they play it. Four feels like it could be a sequel to one. Yeah, the proper sequel. Like, two was just messing around. Yeah, which is how it's felt until you get to five. Ah. <laughs> yeah, technically, this this one should chronologically come last in our reviews, but sorry, we're going to talk about it on you know in, in release order. Release order, because it, it was actually quite a joke between my friends who do love these films. Like this is, you know, for a simple film, this has got a really confusing timeline. Yeah. But it, I suppose that the seven, I haven't seen five and six yet, but it, 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 it comes at just about the right time to sort of wrap things up and move things on to the next period because without um, Paul Walker, it's going to be a different series. So they're going to, I would assume, since Lucas Black is now in seven, that yes. they're gonna, he's going to be the guy who runs with Dom since Han is also dead. It's hard to say. It's just mentioned that he's in. Mm. don't know how big the role is, but I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah, slightly disappointed that Bow Wow's not in it. It's been rumoured he might be, but don't want to uh, say uh, anything too early. Um, but I mean, it's, why not put him in it? He's you know even just it, he would fit with uh, once you once you sort of get to five where it, this franchise gets a whole new. I get this one gives it a new lease of life. Five really kicks it to another level. Mm. Well, uh, technically, that, four gave it a new lease of life because like after I mean we'll talk about this next week, but um, after the this one, as I said, it made 158 million versus 236 for the last one and 207 for the other one. So it was almost like we've got to do something different for this fourth one, or these ones are going to be the law of diminishing returns. So they asked the cast, "Do you want to come back and do this again?" And it turned out no one was busy. Yeah, yeah, the careers had, or more, which more is kind of funny because it was just meant to be a cameo at the end. I know you mentioned it. Uh, the, the, we get a lot. Of, we get. A, this is a reason for a lot of. The fans of the first two to go see this, the third one was because yeah. the rumour went around there's a cameo by Dom at the end. Yeah. And it sets up a lot of stuff. It uh, alludes to somehow, even though it's after, it was made before them, it alludes to four, five, and six. Yeah. 
quite clever. Also, the ways um, Anne is in this film makes sense once you've seen four, five, and six. Okay. Well, they, they were doing it retrospectively. It's pretty easy to fill in True. your backstory when you're doing it. You say that, but I've seen them mess that up. Yeah. Well, yeah, Star Wars for a Before start. Before the uh, uh, say it, yeah. Dominic cameo, um, there's uh, the finale, basically, after Han's death. Rather than going off on a roaring rampage of revenge, Sean appears to grow up and mm. get that awareness because he basically goes, right, I'm going to fix my shit. I'll charge, challenge DK to a one-to-one race, get this one sorted. And um, like in Avatar and Dances with Wolves, he goes to Japan and becomes the best drift racer ever. Because he beats the Drift King. It was actually kind of funny. It's a wrestling storyline. It's mm. a loser leaves town race. Yeah. Which actually makes sense. It's, it's also the Karate Kid, the new one with uh, Jackie Chan. It, but it, it's it's non-violent, mm. and they both agree, and it's about honor. They, yeah. they swear on their honor, in essence, that they will abide by whoever losers will leave town. Yeah. Which is actually quite different you don't get the you don't get the too fast too furious ending or the fast and furious ending with the gunfire or anything it's just about who is who is the better man yeah i did love that line about um when he goes to talk to dk's uncle and he says basically your nephew and i have embarrassed ourselves uh, that the idea that that is part of growing up that you can look at what you've done and say this was idiotic and i'd really like to apologize for it and you better make it good because Sonny Chiba will kick your ass. Oh, well, totally yes, will. there is that. He's got a sword that could cut God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Favourite car in this one? I'm cheating. I want to say the Hulk one because that out of all the cars I've seen is so unique, but it's not. It's, um, it's the hybrid at the end, the best way I can put it. It is a... It's the engine in it's yeah. the Tokyo the Tokyo Drift engine in the muscle car body in the Mustang. I think Sharon even predicted you know you couldn't do this with a uh, with a Mustang, and I said wait a second, and I hadn't. I hadn't <laughs> it's not like they didn't foreshadow this. And <laughs> I, I said wait a second, the, his dad's building and rebuilding a Mustang. I reckon he's going to drive that Mustang at the end. It's going to be better than all the best drift cars made for drifting in Japan. Of and of course it was. I love the fact that it is like it's combining the best of American and the best of Japanese. With I love the fact that they also tune it. It's not just like stick this engine in there and it'll work. It's like, you know, just they had to keep twisting knobs and turning dials and things until it's just tuned just right to be able to take that particular pass. Mm. It's uh, it's a really lovely uh, m- moment. And, I- and it's it's um it's a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor for Sean as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say the Sylvia, but I changed my mind. I like that souped-up Mustang with the Japanese heart. Me too. <laughs> Although, honourable mention to the Hulk minivan. Of course. Pure awesomeness. Don't we all wish we had one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I had one. Don't think I'd be there driving. Okay, so you guys rank the first three in terms of your favourites. Okay, um, I'll go first. This is shocking to me, but I'm ranking this in reverse, uh, in its literal reverse order as three, two, and one. Whoa! I three. You like two more than one? I do. Again, because like I said, going back to it, I felt it was a little bit dated, a little uh, light on the explanation of certain characters, and I think it just took itself a shade too seriously. Where the second one and the third one have serious moments, but still managed to maintain a quite a nice level of levity. Uh, and comedy in it that makes it an enjoyable ride. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying the first one's bad. I still like the first one, but 
I, I didn't realize how much I liked the third one until I went and watched it today and how much fun it was. It really is fun. It's especially apparent that it was really great fun when you immediately afterwards watch four. <laughs> so enjoy, oh, yes. Neil, or rather don't. I, I'm sorry. Oh, I know. I, I, I've seen this franchise a lot. I know what's coming in four. Yeah. I saw four first on a plane and I kept nodding off and waking up and it was still the same scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I can't even argue that. That that is a shame. I, I mean, I remember. I, I don't know. It's not something we often talk, but how hyped I was for four. Mm. You know, because I love this franchise and the trailer right. saying, "What was it?" Um, it's like Old, uh, the original model. No, hang on. Uh, new model, original part. Original part. And it's like, yeah. oh wow, they're they're all coming back. They're all coming back. I was so excited because this is a franchise that I really liked. And you know, for the longest time, I thought I was just one of the few because because you know we often here we talk about you know other films like Avengers and stuff like that it's not sort of the film you expect everyone to love but it's as it's gone on it's grown and grown and the love for it's gone and seeing these characters come back was like it was amazing it's like oh the original cast has come back I'm so excited and then it happened and it was okay <laughs> it was passable it was, it was enough to get to five at least <laughs> if you say five and six are good I think four is going to be my least favourite of the series but uh... um, the change that happens in five six with six you will really enjoy cool yeah. It, because they essentially become heist films. Okay. Which really works. Don't get me wrong, the physics and the car stuff gets even stupider. Oh, okay. But it's still fun to watch. Speaking of physics, so much of this driving is like, this is all actual stunt driving? How much CG went into Tokyo Drift, do you think? More than the others. Oh, really? Uh, a lot more. That's well, it was what very I well said, hidden isn't it? Because uh, it, it, it felt as real as it gets. There's a lot of the drift stuff that you, is actual real, uh, mm. like the, um, the, the 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 race in the car park. Yeah, going around that. Look, uh, a lot of the stuff, like I think when Han's showing off, that's real as well. Where he does the donut around the car. Mm. But I, the, the 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 scene in I can't remember the scene. I do love the bit Tokyo where Marito loses his uh, drift and goes, acts like a total baby. He's not growing up. But. But a lot of these films, for the most part, did try to use as much real mm. car work as possible. Later on, that unfortunately does go out the window because the, the car stuff just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Right. It, but for the most part, this, this the first half of the trilogy does um, try to use as much um, actual car stuff as possible. And they, and that helps because even then, when they use CGI, they don't overuse it. Yeah. Well, no, I, I didn't notice. I only noticed one bit that was definitely CGI at the end of four when they come bursting out the mountain because that would possibly kill a man. Really? The whole chase looks so terrible. Today. Well, I was bored to tears, but I didn't notice it being obviously fake. Um, Sharon, rank the first three. I think I'm going to go with three, one, two. I am really torn between three and one because I really like them both for different reasons. Uh, I think I'm going to go with 3-1-2, though, because 3 just wins out in that it probably functions better on its own. If you saw no other Fast and Furious film, you could just see this one and go, yeah, okay, I, I kind of get what these films are about. Ironically, um, Rob Cohen said the opposite. He said that if you, uh, if, he is the director of the first one, if you only watched Tokyo Drift, you wouldn't want to watch any other Fast and Furious films. 
I think you said that. I'm hoping you said that as the fact that that one was actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> I think he meant uh, that uh, he really he didn't the opposite. like it. Yeah. The trouble is, let's face it, past this, all right, with my exception of actually liking Triple X, he then went on to do Stealth, which is god awful. Oh, Stealth. The Mummy 3, which is god awful. Yep. Alex Cross, which uh, is god awful. Didn't Rob Cohen do the Monster Squad? Uh, no. Did Dragonheart. Oh. Who did do the Monster Squad? <laughs> he did Dragonheart and Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Oh, see, I like Dragon the Bruce Lee story. I like Dragon the Bruce Lee story I like Dragonheart as well, as well actually. Uh, Dragonheart too. He, he, he did Daylight as well, which I'm kind of meh on. Sorry, Fred Decker uh, directed Monster Squad. I don't know where I got Rob Cohen from that. I was thinking, I don't think he's old enough to have directed the Monster Squad. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, no, produced the Monster Squad. Ah, huh? I knew there was a reason. I think that kind of wraps it up in a, the, the, the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift was the big surprise of this series so far. Mm. I, I remember seeing it the first time and thinking, this is all right. I miss Vin Diesel, though. And uh, am I, am Although I the even cameo was good. The cameo was, was good. but it That was really actually a good way of it. doing a cameo. It didn't feel like a throwaway thing and it yeah. felt right into the events, which was good because normally cameos can be kind of... Mm. The prime example would be any Stan Lee cameo is usually what you'd call a throwaway one. Yeah. But now that I've seen uh, Fast F- 4, which has been throughout, I can tell you right now that the magical combination of elements for a really great Fast and Furious film does not require Vin Diesel. Not necessarily. No. But hold the faith, it does get better, trust me. I hope I hope you enjoy 5 and 6 because... So do we. They are fun. Otherwise, they're, next they're, week's going to be a pretty short show. Although, I do admit that either you or Sharon are going to go, oh, come on, when it gets to the post credit scene in 5 and 6. <laughs> well, okay. Oh, yeah, the, actually, there was a bit in the, the... Oh, that was it, yeah. He walked into the club in Japan, and like all the girls were sort of like canoodling and, and singing and dancing, and uh, then two girls like drape themselves over him, and I, just because he's American, possibly, or maybe just because he's handsome, and I said, "This club doesn't exist." But that's the highest fantasy in the series so far. Oh boy, wait till you see five and six. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go watch Talk now. You go watch Talk. Have you got Talk? I do. <laughs> okay, you go watch Talk. Um, we've got, we will... I live my life one quarter mile at a time. <laughs> what kind of idiot says that? <laughs> Comes you, actually, shit. there's one thing about that film that is fun, not funny. It killed the director's career. Oh. Because he literally did it as a parody. Hmm. Mm but didn't tell Not the enough studio. Got it. Yeah, he didn't tell the studio he was doing it as a parody. So. You see, he needs to take a tip from, is it Chris and Bill? Uh, Lord and Miller. Yeah. They, they're sneaky with that. Yeah. You yeah, just nod sagely and go, yep, this is exactly what I wanted to do. Um, because um, he was on the film show I used to listen to called Slash Filmcast and he talked about it and he said yeah I, I did it as a parody my biggest problem was I didn't tell them I was doing it as a parody yeah. and so he they thought it was a flop when it wasn't he's done a few bits but as a big screen kind of thing no it's a shame because I actually like that film a lot I think it's got a lot going for it sheer insanity 
is the best. But shame. But, I was uh, going to say, given how bright three is, if we had it on Blu-ray, I think it probably would have blinded us. I was only watching it in seven twenty, and even I was going, "Damn!" <laughs> I survived Speed Racer. I could survive this. True. God, True. Speed Racer was like a rainbow unicorn had vomited on the screen. <laughs> I thought it was like uh, getting shot in the face with a blunderbuss full of skittles. <laughs> I, and now I get to tell you my good news, which is I forgot to say I, I have some good news. Jenna is expecting our first baby on the 14th of February. Oh, oh my wow. God. Oh, congratulations, Neil. That's Thank fantastic. You. Very well done. Thank you. Thank you? Thank you for propagating. <laughs> Thank you for telling us. Thank you for oh, telling us, of course. Yes. Thank sweet, you. That's, that's amazing. Oh, give Shona my best and tell her to look oh, after dear. herself. She is doing. She is in. I've just, I've not really mentioned anything on Facebook and Twitter. I've told the Game Burst crew they know. And Understandable, yeah. But yeah, I've seen the scandals. I needed to. You just moved in together. You move fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, we planned moving in last year. Mm. I just wanted to obviously make sure I'd get a job and everything. And that we, I gave us time so we could settle and get used to the idea. Yeah. And um, a couple of weeks before due to move in, I got a phone call from Shona and she's in tears. And I'm like, what's up? What's up? She goes, please don't be mad at me. And it's like, I can't be mad at you. What's up? She goes, I'm pregnant. At which point I burst into tears. Oh, <laughs> I was so happy. Oh. Oh. So, yeah, um, the 14th of February as well, so. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we've had the first scan and everything's good. We go for the detailed scan on the 29th. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Brilliant. Oh, so, yeah. So, when I start getting all panicky and stuff around January, you know why? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I can talk you through the whole fatherhood thing. It's uh, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, be, you'll be no. alright for the first few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> then the feces begins. I, I, it's the panic. I, I, I'm doing the manly thing of I'm thinking about right we need this and this for the house. When the baby turns up, I'm just going to go. Ah! <laughs> well, I'll cope. Well, yeah, like I said, we we, we will be a, a, an infinite resource of advice should you so need it. So uh, uh, trust me, I probably will be asking. <laughs> and Tony and Liz as well; they've got yeah, uh, they've got to deal with double that. So uh, and Zan's offered as well, which is of course, great. yeah, Zan. So, so I'm surrounded by a lot of people I'm going to ask. With them. Yeah, that, that it's helps. good to be networked in this scenario. Yeah, definitely. But also, um, th- this show will be finding out cherry pick. For the love of God, don't take anyone's word as gospel. Yeah, we we have been, we have been yeah. so. But up until baby gets here, it's uh, just a case of carrying as best we can, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Oh. Well, that was a lovely bit of news. Yeah. Thank I you. you at the end. Yep. Just want to pause mid-show to say a big thank you to the special patrons this month. Uh, that would be Joel Robinson, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Livio De La Cruz, Scott Corzine, and Nick Grugan. And, of course, everybody else who supports this show and New Century on Patreon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And following that heartwarming little revelation there, uh, eagle-eared listeners will notice that we recorded this back in September. Subsequently, Neil and Shona brought into the world just a few weeks ago little baby Mikey. So, Mikey, I'm going to play you one of Lyra's very favourite pieces of music from the Fast and Furious series. Uh, This will help you learn to count to four. It's Conteo by Don Omar. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. 
cuatro machando mi combo forma un aloroto uno dos tres cuatro salte qué va pasando mi combo uno dos tres cuatro machando la casta forma un aloroto uno dos tres cuatro qué va pasando mi culo me apasiona poder esa tela si el fuerte control el negro te consuela rompe esa consola Cornel y la abuela como se no sea la misma canela For more highly increased momentum with a distinct likelihood of ferocity, today we're covering 2009's Fast and Furious. Now, until we'd started these podcasts, I'd seen the first four, and Sharon had seen the first and vaguely remembered the second. Our guest, Neil Taylor, is a huge fan of the series. Hello, Neil. Hello. Grab your thunderpants. I have. So this is a very personal show for him. We're going to start. This is also payback for the Transformers films. Yeah, I'm welcome. I'm sure. <laughs> we'll start off with the movie that brought the series back to the core characters from the original, Fast and Furious. Now, since these ones are more recent and not everyone has seen them, we're going to have to try not to spoil the later films while talking about the earlier ones, so spoilers will happen only as we cover each film in turn. So we can't really talk about five while we're talking about four, and so on and so on, if that's, if that's what Yeah, we'll try and do that. <laughs> yeah. It's normally me that does that, so I, I will try my best. Uh, we'll, we'll have to sort of go, well, there's a thing that uh, happens... Yeah, okay, so that might be annoying while you're listening to it, folks, but it's to make sure that people don't end up Spoiling, because there are some real spoilery type things that, that happen later on. Okay, so, 2009's Fast and Furious. Sharon, you saw it just the other day. I saw it on the plane to PAX in 2009. Not the best place to really see it. Tiny little screen, shitty little Walkman speakers, and um, I was already very tired. And I'd also seen Terminator Salvation and X-Men Origins colon Wolverine in the same oh. flight. So I was already cheesed off with cinema, and this one just about capped me off. Neil, did you actually see it in theatres? I did. Do you want to go on this one? Because I have difficulty really getting my fingers into the cracks, if you know what I mean. Okay, well, this one, this one I, I remember talking about this on the last show, that I was really excited for this one, seeing the original cast return uh, after... Strange enough, at the time, not liking Tokyo Drift, mm, which is shocking. A lot of people in the same boat, yeah. A lot, because it, the way I describe it, it pulled the Halloween on us, where we'd had, like, two films of one set of characters, then mm. we did something completely different. Yeah. Which actually, as we found out last time, worked really well. Yeah. Well, I um, haven't seen Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, but I imagine it felt very similar to audiences at the time. It is a very weird bait and switch, because it was a Halloween film, and up until that point, everyone knew Halloween as Michael Myers. Or indeed, Bait and Witch. Oh, Carry on. <laughs> Fair play. oh uh, we hate movies have reviewed halloween three season of the witch if you folks want to hear about more of that you know it's how you first two films you establish a, you establish a world and you establish a set of characters and then all of a sudden with the third one we got this sudden change and 
as we as I found out going back to it, you know what? It worked really well. I I still cannot believe how much I love the third one. Mm. It's been such a long time since I'd seen it. And then, you know, I'm feeling slightly let down by the third one. We we got all excited because hey, they're bringing the, the original cast back. They're all coming back. Yeah. So, which you'd you'd imagine it would increase suddenly. Paul Walker's back in, and it increases, and then Vin Diesel's back in, and it increases even more. You had Jordana Brewster and Michelle Rodriguez. Suddenly, it's just exactly the same combination of elements as before, just with, with a new director who I don't know was I suppose to people at the time passable on Tokyo Drift. Uh, yeah, he he's still. Um, little did we know he was going to be as good as he was. Um, you know, he, he still had a good reputation. It wasn't that Tokyo Drift was a bad film. I think it was just because it wasn't the crew. Mm. If that makes sense, it wasn't those cast of characters you'd got familiar with. Yeah, so that that was you know. So you know, we knew we were in safe hands. We're all excited. We go to the cinema to watch it, and then <laughs> wow! This well, so, so what I just. <laughs> What was the issue then? Well, it's really weird because uh, we talked last time. One of the really annoying um, inconsistencies running through the first few films is Brian O'Connor's character. Mm-hmm. We start off with him as sort of a naive undercover cop. Mm-hmm. Then he's a bit easy, um, happy-go-lucky in the second one. You know, he's a bit more relaxed. One of the Duke boys. <laughs> then we cut back. Now, this is where it also gets very confusing. He's an FBI agent all of a sudden. Sharon no, pointed that one out. <laughs> no mention of what happened in Miami, although they uh, will come to us. They rewarded yeah. him for his criminal activities with not only reinstatement on the police force, but the FBI. My only guess is because they took down technically into a cartel, a cartel guy, it was enough to mm. get him into the FBI or something. But it's never really explained, so it leaves you thinking, oh, wait, did two not happen? So you're thinking then, is it one of those... A retcon where the second one never happened. Yeah. You know, sometimes they do do that. In a lot of the um, uh, uh, extra material, we watched several of these um, today. They they go to they go back to the Fast and the Furious, and then they show if it, for the later ones they show four, then five, and six, and then they go oh no, these other ones. Uh, and very briefly show a few shots of Roman and Brian together and um, maybe a car from Tokyo Drift. But I never saw, not through any of those um, extras, did I see Sean's face. No, it's, it's very strange. Uh, so so we've gone to, he's very serious as well in this film. And there's a tonal shift and yeah. a colour shift, which is, I don't want to say out of place, but the way I describe this film is it takes itself too seriously and loses a lot of the... The humour yeah. carries these films as well, which is really annoying. Also, too much CGI cars. Yeah. Way too much CGI cars. It's very imbalanced. Uh, and I started to think, this feels really like a Michael Bay film, just the way it was lit and the way it was photographed. And I thought, right, who did the cinematography? Amir Mokri, director of photography. Also, Man of Steel, very like a Michael Bay film. Bad Boys 2. <laughs> Michael Bay film film. and Transformers Dark of the Moon that's the uh, unfilmed Michael Bay (laughs) so I mean it's he's he really knows his stuff and he really knows how to deliver exactly that kind of film however if that's not exactly the kind of film you're going for yeah I mean I mean he does a good job it it starts off very action-packed with a, a a good sequence, which I don't think I've seen anything similar to that before, with this weird road train heist, which is different. 
the uh, bit where they um, they're, they're unstrapping the various uh, tankers from the back of this um, a road train. It's called. It's well, basically an extra uh, an extra long yeah. lorry. But it's so long that the guy in the cab doesn't even know he's being robbed. Yeah, that, that was you get into a quiet, and that feels like Fast and Furious. You know, mm. that sort of feels that's nice. In the same time, it's brightly lit. It, it's it's got the elements of danger, but it's got everything you expect. There's sort of humour as well. The the, the comedic characters yeah. there. It evokes the uh, the truck heist in the first one, which we never mentioned in the first podcast. Is really good and a great stunt. And when that uh, that Jake, yeah, is uh, is pinned to the truck, and Brian goes in to to, oh, to help. Oh, him. Vince, that's, yeah. Sorry, Vince, not Jake. Uh, that's a great uh, sort of bit of sort of hanging out of the car. It reminds me of Speed in that that's same kind of like we've got to keep at a, a set pace and there's a panic to it. Just the right amount of stakes because you know that Dom and Brian aren't going to die at this point, but they could kill Vince. They could kill Letty at that stage. So there's just the right amount of stakes for that uh, uh, stunt to really uh, be impressive. And... This one, when the tanker comes rolling towards them, now that I've seen five and six, really feels, as you say, very CG kind of fake. I don't know if they actually rolled a real tanker at them. I guess they, they probably no. didn't. No, um, I- it's also the fact that it's there's only one thing that he could do at that exact point because the walls of the canyon are very high. It's rolling at an exactly a certain speed. He can either hang back by the cliff edge. That they're exactly the right length. Away, uh, either side of this uh, truck, it just seems kind of too perfect yeah. of a stunt to have to pull off. It is, and it's that slightly disappointing. Going from a film that up until this point was prided itself in a lot of its practical stunts. Yeah. The, uh, I don't know if we mentioned it. The opening stunt in the Fast and Furious, the first film, mm-hmm. is practical, where you actually have a car drive underneath a trailer, stay in in sync with it, yeah. and then come out. That was incredible. I've never mentioned that either. I, but, uh, I'd yeah. like to say the stunt driver than that must have balls of steel, because oh, yeah. that must have been terrifying. Sharon, your thoughts on Fast and Furious? I don't know if I really have that much more to add, to be honest with you. It was just the, the overwhelming thing about it for me was that it was very grey, um, mm. that it was sort of this, like gunmetal grey in tone. They were trying to be much more serious than they had been before. Mm. Almost like uh, they were trying to kick off really, really hard away from Tokyo Drift. Yeah. It's like Mm. Tokyo Drift was too young and fun. This is what grown-ups like. They like dour. Mm. Darkness. No parents. (laughs) The idea that they were trying to to demonstrate that this is what happens when these characters grow up is fair enough. Um, But I think there was too much deliberately trying to set things in a very grown-up world. I think that's part of what putting uh, Brian in the FBI was about. Mm. You know, you're... Cutting his hair, you barely with the get big to see his now. blue eyes. Absolutely, and it—he's it, wearing a suit the whole time as well. I—I I just think there was too much of that that they thought would carry the characters and mm. didn't. They do, especially try to grow the characters. Um, do you want to go? In, I don't know how much you want to go into the plot of it because. Uh, well, one no, thing I do well the plot of four because if people are listening at this point then it's okay to spot actually before I go to that quick question because I mentioned this when you sound watched it and you, obviously you'd seen the first three and you started it and it opened and you got the opening and then you got Brian in the FBI do you sit and just wonder when is this film meant to be taking place at all because we, we did explain before the chronology is a little bit 
Apparently, it's supposed to be five years. I think Mia mentioned something on the lines of that. So it's five years after the 2001, The Fast and the Furious. So it's 2006, roughly, when Tokyo Drift was released. My theory is that it goes uh, Fast and the Furious in 2001, then five years later... Sorry. I was was more thinking from just the the point of view of just watching it, did you feel lost? Because obviously, right at the end of Tokyo Drift, we see Dom. Dom, yeah. And all of a sudden now we've cut back and Dom's in Mexico and you got... You know, without five, five and six to really give it a, 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 like a, a sense of place and time, yeah, I, I think the first time I would have been like, oh, I suppose this is like... Because I didn't know that... I, I, hadn't, I didn't remember Han from uh, Tokyo Drift when I saw four. So I was like, I'm sure I've seen that guy somewhere before. But it had been years since I'd seen Tokyo Drift. I saw it once. I didn't care about it that much then. I do now. Um, but it seemed, I think I was like, oh, yeah, didn't they mention that they used to spend time together? But then the film moved on. I was like, right, now it's really going to heat up. And then Letty died. Yeah. It was murdered horribly. And the Which... entire rest of the film seems to be informed upon by this horrible situation. And everyone's mourning her and grieving. And no one turns the lights on for the whole time. It's like the West Wing series six five. or five, where they never, five, turn, they never open the blinds in that one. Yeah, it, it, it sort of becomes... A battle between... It's really weird, because she also dies off-screen. We yeah. never see... Which, I suppose, help later on. But, um, you know, it's a weird thing. You kill this sort of important character, because she's set up right at the beginning of the film, and in the short film that Vin Diesel made, mm-hmm. as being quite an important and central character to Dom. Is that on any of the discs anywhere? It should... Uh, Lost Bandoliers should be on the disc. Oh, it is, actually. Yeah, sorry, I thought that was a music video for a, a song called Lost Bandoliers. Damn, I need to watch that. No, it's actually a short film that he did for sort of um, filling in the blanks. And it's, I think, I'm sure it's been that actually... That's how much he cares it. about these films. He, Yeah, he does. He's very... I think because this is what brought him to the public eye, he does care a lot about these characters. Mm. So all of a sudden you get this. Well, he was the one who gathered the original cast back again. They basically said, you know, this would have been after Tokyo Drift when he'd done his um, little cameo. And they were like, Vin, we'd really like to do another one of these, but we need everyone back. Can you get them? Yeah, I'll have a go. Carry on. Uh, and unfortunately, they, as Sharon said, they come with this. I call it, uh, like I said, I think it takes itself too seriously and it drops a lot of the things that are appealing about these films, the sort of sense of humor, that sense of, as I said, I actually tweeted you earlier, the, the bromance is yeah. gone from it as well, which is yeah. something a lot of people enjoy. That that camaraderie between the characters is all gone. And for the entirety of this film, you have basically Vin, uh, sorry, you have Dom on this whole vengeance kick. Yeah. So that's what he's doing. He is out to kill Bragger. He's a man on fire. Yeah. A little bit too triple X-y, actually, I thought. Oh, dude, we, we watched the first hour of triple X earlier today. It's rubbish. By today's standards, if you want a really good reason why the Marvel Cinematic Universe is excellent, watch triple X and look at the state of action films in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like I said, it seems to have taken... It seems to have its... This film's had its charisma removed, is the only way I can think of putting it. Yeah. It's certainly, yeah, it's lacking on char- in charm. Also, you know, you bring back all the characters, like, yeah, all the characters, and then you kill one of them. It's like, what? You kill one of them. I, I checked they're... the chronology. I thought, could this be to do with the fact that uh, Michelle Rodriguez was sent to jail uh, for, uh, like, several times uh, in the past uh, 10 years or so uh, for uh, various um, uh, DUIs? Uh, and um, I, I did some reading, and that didn't actually correspond. So it's oh. almost like they got her in for a cameo. It is. Um, it, it does feel like that. There's actually a funny story, which we'll talk about in the next one, a bit of trivia, but 
Also, this being 2009 and Avatar coming out a few months later, you got to see her die twice. Twice. <laughs> well, you see, you definitely see her die in Avatar. Yeah, you, you definitely see the circumstances leading to her death by explosion at least once. <laughs> but you get my point. Yeah, yeah I mean, th- this film just basically rolls around them taking down Braga, this cartel guy, and it, it becomes, not only is it, as you put it, grimdark, it, it's also really kind of, little formulaic action film yeah. as well it's like you know how it's going to go you know the beats and it's a bit it just feels if jim carnahan had directed this it might actually have gotten like it's a really hard-boiled edge to it and if he'd sort of changed the tone and made it fit his have you ever seen knock or um what else did jim carnahan do joe carnahan sorry Ha. i was <laughs> If Joe Carnahan had done this, and I was about to, to uh, really praise his uh, directing ability and uh, uh, capacity for doing stony, gritty, dark action thrillers, he did Knock, uh, he did The Grey, which I really liked recently with Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, Neeson punches yeah. walls in the face. And uh, also with Liam Neeson, he did The A-Team. Well, which I, I like. At everything. I do quite like The A-Team, but uh, it goes on a bit. It does, and yeah. the tank. I still prefer the A-Team to um, uh, uh, Fast and Furious 4. At least the A-Team was fun. Yeah, that is the biggest thing, the, the lack of fun. It's such... Yeah. It's I don't want to bash on it, but it, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's just yeah. not fun. And this franchise sort of has got by on the fact it is fun. Of the four that we've talked about so far, this is my least favourite. It's the one I would least want to see again. And considering what happens in five and six, it actually doesn't set up that much. Who do we, what and who do we get as a result of this film? We get Giselle, who is uh, played by Gal Gadot, and uh, turns up in five and six and is uh, a f- an important support character. And she's delicate and uh, exotic and quiet and sort of gets to Dom and tries to sort of draw out his slightly more sensitive side. And we get to know about Dom by the way he's thinking about Letty through Giselle. But what else do we get? Bragger, who does crop back up later. Yeah, we get this um, drug not- dealing type guy. I think I, I remember talking to Sharon and saying, okay, right, so when's... Um, this the guy was talking about his boss, Bragger, in the third person. I said, he talks about himself in third person? And Sharon said, no, that's not Bragger. And I thought, it seems like he really should be Bragger. And then I remembered when it, it turned out that it was Bragger. I was like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that'd be, of course, why he was. Because if you talk about this guy... Um, always in these sort of hushed tones, you you then have to deliver someone of incredible charisma, and that's another thing that the uh, fast films have had lacking since day one. Really great antagonists of like Hans Gruber levels. Yeah, I don't think they pull that off till much later, unfortunately. So that, I mean, yeah, you need some sort of challenge for your for your lead characters, and uh, that what yeah in the first one you've got is it Tran. Tran. Yeah, yep. uh, who uh, who does actually hurt them because he, he kills Jesse and uh, presents a genuine threat and then gets taken out. But really the conflict there is between Dom and uh, Brian. And the second one, you've got Cole Hauser in his pyjamas, just not bothering and then bringing out that rat in a bucket. And the third one, you've got DK, who again is very similar to Chan, uh, but a bit more conflicted. But again, doesn't ever really... Okay, mind you, I say that, it, it does he again, kills someone very important or leads to their death. And 
in this one, you've got Braga, who again fails to really register as a major threat. The, the, the weird thing with Lattie that being killed, so the threat there doesn't actually come from him. It comes from his number two guy, the, the yeah. weird, creepy Phoenix. Phoenix guy, tea-looking fellow. He actually comes across more of a threat and more dangerous than the the head of the cartel. A bit so, yeah. yeah so, so the end. The, the end is actually. We've jumped to the end because the the middle of it is all just car chasing and talking. And it's not a lot. I mean, the and the the, the big sin, like we said, the, well, I think they commit here. It goes. It, it's too heavy on the CGI for a lot of its yeah. races, especially the, the its set piece. It's 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 standout moment where it is meant to be this incredible claustrophobic tight race through these mine shafts. Mm. It just looks like a really bad video game. Yeah, because it didn't really feel real. Uh, and also because the lighting is um, it's very g- dark and grey, and so you've got a lot of cars in a dark grey background racing across a featureless desert into a mountain where it's very dark and grey. Everything's moving extremely fast, and things explode at the speed of speeder bikes, and then they come out, and it feels like somewhere along the way the edge-of-your-seat stuff got lost. Oh, the other thing that becomes a thing for this film, franchise in this film is the cross. Is Dom's cross? Yeah. Or is it Letty's cross? The cross, basically, the Dom silver had it cross. In his uh, Dodge Charger in the first one, it was yeah. hanging off the wing mirror, and I think he wore it several times as well. It, this, Which suggests that, that it was probably his dad's. Yeah. It, it, it that's it, it really. I don't want to become say it becomes a character, but it becomes a. It is a thing. It is a symbol, and it 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 grows throughout these films. It it till now is actually it's a well. I should imagine by now it's going to be a plot point type thing for seven or eight. Seven, yeah. Um, What's that word in uh, Inception for the little spinning top show? Totem. Totem. Uh, totem. Yeah, it's Dom's totem. Uh, It's an important object to him. Uh, What are we missing? Oh, yeah, there's a really grisly bit where at the end the um, Phoenix, the right-hand man, is trying to get away and Brian grabs him while Dom charges in in his charger. He, Brian grabs him by the leg so that he can get squashed against a car. It's grisly and miserable uh, of, of, a, of, of a victory. I mean... Yeah. Uh, also that... Um, I, well, it carries on from this point. But Dom is more violent in this film. He yeah. actively takes out racers that... It never explicitly says that it would kick their dead, but the way the crashes go, they should be dead. Yeah. He's a man on fire, isn't he? I, I was going to say, I think that does kind of have contextual fit, though, because he's acting like somebody who is rapidly running out of things to lose. Mm. I think the point is he's meant to have clicked into that same mindset he was in when he saw the guy that killed his father. Yeah. Mm. That's yeah. what it, it doesn't... It, it makes him just... I don't want to... <laughs> It's weird because you want to like this character, but he blatantly he he is taking out guys that really don't have anything to do with it. Yeah, it just makes him. It's like he shouldn't really be doing that, you know. Yeah, he should cause them to crash, but not in a. I think it's just a way of upping the, the action on the screen that they they make these crashes completely over the top. But you look and go, well, that guy'd be dead. Also, um, they when they cut to the actual, I think they go to like a race. And then you get the girls in the hot pants and there's girls dancing around in a club. This is the one where I've mentioned, Sharon, that there's a lot of girls kissing and necking. And that's when um, Brian and uh, Dom are sort of driving around and and Dom says something on the lines of like, you know, same old, same old. And goes, and they suddenly seem like the guys in the club who are just, you know, they ain't too old, just a little too old to be in a club. You know, the Lionel Richie in his leather pants. 
staring at the young flesh. And of course, the girls are getting off with each other because when, if the the idea is marketing wise, if teenage boys see girls necking with boys, they feel inferior. They need they want the girls to be available and to think, well, those girls are going to want to kiss each other. But it's also also Sharon, you mentioned that they're not really into it. They don't no, seem to really well, be. See, this is the thing. I, I think the comment I made was there's more girls copping off with each other in this than there was in Chasing Amy. Yeah. Um, but um, the thing is that happens as well in Tokyo Drift when um, Sean walks into the party there's a a couple of girls um, canoodling in a corner Mm. but Sean's looking at it like jaw hit the floor oh my god it emphasises what that he's a teenager a world he's walked into that he has no concept of he's beneath it and at that point uh, Dom and uh, Brian should technically be above it and beyond it well it it just seemed so hollow in this it was all like you know these these women are clearly enjoying this but not too much not too much because really what they're doing is they're doing this for you to watch it bring it comes back to this idea of the whole male gaze thing and that everything that's happening on screen you know what you said about whenever dom's not on screen i want everybody to be thinking where's Where's Dom? dom when uh you know whenever dom and brian are around what we needed is lots of things for dom and brian to be looking at um and <laughs> but then not being into the it thing could relate to the fact that if the girls seem to be really into it like just really into it then men in the audience or young boys will start feeling inferior like they're not even needed in this scenario well, exactly. the girls will be fine without them it's, do you remember that episode like, get it get out go at it girls just not too much leave some for that, me um, that episode of friends where they have the the sort of alternative universe where things might have gone very differently. Oh, yeah. And, um... Uh, Ross arranges Ross a threesome. Ross and Susan... No, Ross and... What's her name? Carol. Carol. Carol still the threesome. Together, and they have a threesome with Susan and he's walking out and they're like, it's like they didn't even notice I was there. She kept kicking me away. Yeah. I went to make myself a sandwich. How, how was it? I was pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, that that's... It, in that particular context, it, it, it kind of undermines. It's like you know, g- girls kissing each other is the epitome of edgy and decadence. decadence. And yeah, but the whole time they're kind of you're just thinking they're doing this because they were paid to, or they're doing this because you. It, so you're basically just, just watching prostitutes at that point. <sighs> that that's not any actresses. great prostitutes. No, no, no. It's, but yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's the performance element of it. So it's it's the kind of, it's live porn, basically. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. That would have made this film more enjoyable. Porn. <laughs> it would yeah, have. Yeah, it would. It's, I'm uh, sorry. It, I mean, it, I, it, I, it, I, I, I... At the box office, it made $363 million from an $85 million budget, which is more than twice what Tokyo Drift made. It's a shame, but I think that is purely because, look, we've got the old cast because yeah. the story is not, especially because he, and this is what I give Justin Lin credit for, he learned from this film. He went, right, this didn't work, this didn't work. One of the things he actually learned from this film, and it's mentioned as a trivia thing for the for the next one, is the backlash about the CD, CG cars was so much he went, right, okay, we will only use it to enhance scenes we, or things that are far too dangerous. Yeah. Now I'm back to practical. So it's a learning process. Yeah, and my only other thought is perhaps they got a writer in who wasn't overly familiar with the franchise and... I had an idea. I don't oh, know. It's the same writer across the board. 
I, I was thinking that. I, I was going over it. Like, how, for a start, the um, cinematographer for Tokyo for three, five, and six is Stephen F. Winden. So uh, it was this this one. They went sideways for a different cinematographer for this one outing, and then they went back to the guy from Tokyo Drift, and he has he's good much better eye for being able to get the brightness and the lightness and uh he can he can sex it up in a way that that makes you like the frames edible i would say he does such a fantastic job of showing off the cities he he makes rio look fantastic he makes london look fantastic as well but in different ways you just do a a far-off shot of the gherkin and make sure that the buildings are shining (laughs) i think they actually did that didn't they yeah there's there's a point where uh, i think james bachelor said this about uh, harry potter 6 you know that uh, it's okay there's a disaster outside but we are safe in the gherkin and it's the same thing again vin diesel is in the gherkin you're safe but back to i mean there's not much more we can say apart from the one it doesn't feel it feels out of place i think that's the biggest thing to me it doesn't feel right this the, the tone just isn't quite right the franchise to hang on just to answer to the writer thing chris morgan same writer as uh, fast and furious uh five six seven so basically really? he wrote four five six and seven so it, the, it, the tone was shifted by by other factors not the writer okay Part of what made it feel a bit weird for me. Oh, and he also wrote Tokyo Drift. Sorry. Oh, good. <laughs> so, wow, he's done. He's done the majority of it then. Yep. That wow. really Three, is four, five, some six, tonal swings. Yeah. Um, it. That's it what battles that because it was like, like same director, same writer, same cinema. Well, no, different cinematographer, but same stars, and so it was like, what, what's different about four that makes it such a different animal to five? It's not just the cinematographer, surely. Carry on, Did- Karen. Did they know at this point that it was going to be four, five, and six? Oh, they just hinted no. at it. If it was a success, they'd carry on. They always hint no. at the end of each film. Like at the end of this one, she's Rio's pretty good. Yeah, but they didn't actually know. Uh, I think they knew five that they were getting another one. Uh, because oh no, I'm not. They weren't 100 percent sure, but they, they no. thought there was a possibility. Hence, why you get the, the post credit scene in that one. At the end of six, they knew there was going to be a seven. They, they did know that. Yeah, that much money. In fact, because that, that part of the production difficulty lay in the fact that they wanted um, Justin Lin to just get straight on it after six and uh, and to film it within a year, and he needed more time, and so he bowed out of that and gave it to a different director. And I think he'd already decided that before he finished six. Yeah, which I can't blame him. Yeah. Right. So when they made four, it to me it feels like. It's there for setup when you look at it retrospectively, but it doesn't yeah. feel like setup while you're watching it. No. Yeah, I was, uh, does it, does this still rank bottom for uh, anyone? I mean, for Sharon, I know it ranks d- down below uh, two. Only the- just, but, and for different reasons. All right. There's uh, the um, my enjoyment of each of them was roughly equal, but two, it was because there was a lack of um, depth, and four, it was that they were trying to put too much depth in it and forgot to put the trimmings on it needed the trimmings um i'm with sharon actually this is the one i enjoyed the least yeah 
No, I'm not worse than one then. Um, one, like I said, my pro- biggest problem with one, it just felt a little bit dated and some of the character motivations were <laughs> missing. Since you said that, I went in and uh, did some checking on the soundtrack. My God, you're right. On that soundtrack, the first one that was released on CD is all produced by Ja Rule, so it's all this obnoxious hip-hop. Oh, and and Ja Rule was never that good in the first place. And there's a second album called More Fast and Furious, and it's all white boy, P.O.D., crap rock. Uh, from it's the one track that's still saliva. fairly decent is Saliva. Mm. That's the only one that dated fairly well. Not very well, but fairly well. But yeah, there's some there's some garbage in that first soundtrack, and it really has uh, dated. And and also not actual garbage, of course, because that would be no, awesome. yeah, garbage would be awesome. <laughs> but, um, but if uh, yeah, if you go back to the cars as well, they're all like super high f- uh, fast production models, and. Um, they, the cars themselves over the series have matured as well, so it's less about what they look like. I mean, by, by film six, they're just painted battleship grey. You know, it's like it doesn't matter what colour they are and whether they've got well, no, 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 this under it. It's about what they're missed, constructed of. Well, six, there's a couple of colour references that I'm looking forward to talking about, but I'll get to that in six. But yeah, no. But, yeah. but, um, yeah, but the cars is, have grown up as, yes. as, as the series has as well. But yeah, this one, this is just not fun. It, it was. A, it felt like a. It, you know, this is the one. A few times where I sat there going, "Yeah, I'm done yet." Because this just felt like such a slog. And like you said, element-wise, it, it, it is a setup film, but it doesn't feel like it when you're watching it. You're thinking, "This could have been the end of the series." And yeah. I suppose they try to give it a happy ending, as you know, Dom's got vengeance and whatnot. And oh, no, actually, no. The the ending was the best bit. Now that I think about it, um, Dom hands himself over to the system. And says, okay, I've done wrong. Uh, I'm going to ask for leniency. I'm going to take it like a man. Um, do what you will with me. Please you know, he's grown. consider me as a human being. And, and, and yeah, he, he's, he basically, he's grown. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And get shafted. He gets shafted. The system goes, right, 25 years with no possibility of parole. 25 to life. 25 to life. So that's, that's basically, they've doomed him at that stage. And so then it completely justifies this breakout when like, you know, it suddenly cuts to the sort of the cars all bearing down on the, uh, the, the bus. And it's like kind of a, yeah. And was like, and then it finishes. It's like, no, that was the good bit. <laughs> yeah, no, you're exactly right. That sets the tone for five. Luckily. Luckily. Yeah. And it's just, the guy just helped bring down one of the, I think they say he's the biggest cartel drug dealer yeah. in the United States. And they <laughs> Brian give him that, they make him an FBI agent. When Dom does that, they send him to jail for the rest of his life. It, it seemed almost like they were going, you made us look bad. Because yeah. that's really what it's for. It's not for murders and, 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 and in insane amounts of drug dealing. It's because he evaded capture for so yeah. many years. And Admit. turned his nose up at the system, and they tried to make an example of him. So that kind of justifies the breakout. And so you're like, you know what? He's been a man. He's he's owned up to this one. He's tried to go as straight as he can. The system won't allow it. Yeah, he tried to be good and responsible, and he got shafted for it. Yeah. So, yeah, that end moment is like, you're like, oh, how are they going to do this? How are they going to do this? And the car cuts across, it goes back in credits roll. It's like, fuck! <laughs> I <laughs> think I actually did in the cinema utter, for fuck's sake... Because that really did irritate me. Yeah, but that's suddenly when you 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 smile and then you realise your mouth, your face has been just like numb from not smiling for the entire film. I, you know what? I think the worst thing is I tried. To, I reckon. I swear. I tried to convince myself I like that film for the longest time. Yeah. Because I thought. I honestly thought. I don't think they're getting another one, and luckily they did. So does and, it go for you? Four lowest, then one, then two, then three. 
at the moment? At the moment, yes. At the moment, that's my standing. Okay. I did think it was a shame that, as things stood at this point, Letty had had such a a, a nothing of an ending. Yeah. Um, her... Her role in this is actually really important. The fact that um, it's her actions uh, that save Dom's car, the fact that she was put in this position in the first place because she was trying to help him. Mm. Um, it's, it's I do like the fact that she was trying to rebuild his uh, uh, Dodge Charger. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the, that whole um, side of her character is all explained between other characters when she's not around. You don't get to see any of this. You don't actually get to see Michelle Rodriguez putting the leg time into creating that character to this this new level, which is a real shame because I think the the handful of minutes that she's actually in it at the beginning, um, she did come across as a little bit cardboardy. The lines they'd given her were not Great. brilliant. Yeah. We should admit, um, it's, yeah, this is the one that introduces Han as well, I just realised, who's basically in it for what, 10 minutes? Mm. Yeah. And he's, he doesn't get any good lines either, really, to be fair. They just hint at him, oh, I'll go to, oh, I heard they're doing some crazy stuff in Tokyo. It's like, no, Han, don't go there. <laughs> Which, actually, you end up uttering quite a few times during this franchise. Don't do it, Han. Okay. Right, I think that should do. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Neural, Neural Handshake, handshake complete. complete. You know, for this time, I prefer the other kind of drift. Where's my car? Yeah.